Welcome to Build. This is Maggie. Today I have Nash Ahmed, CEO and founder of Undock on the show. Nash, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Maggie. Glad to be here. This is going to be really good because we're going to get into what it's like to build in a super crowded space like the one that you're in. But where I first where I want to start is just getting the backstory on Undock. Calendaring is super crowded. And I'm curious why you wanted to enter a market like this one. Um, I'm biased, but I obviously think about founders as like the first product managers. So I'm, I'd love to hear your take on the problem and why you guys got started. Okay, so it's interesting for me because I actually didn't start in the calendaring space. Um, I was just trying to solve for availability. And I initially didn't think that was a, a calendar problem. I thought it there needed to be something else that existed in the world. But as I kept digging deeper and deeper to like the kernel level of the problem, I was like, okay, I think I know what the solution is. I, I think I know what the groundbreaking change to technology is here. What existing product most closely resembles that landscape, that platform? Where can I execute this technological strategy somewhere that already exists? And believe it or not, the first place that I started was uh, the phone system. Right, which you're like, wait, phone systems and calendars. But I spent 10 years in the telecommunications industry, and part of my Eureka moment was around how that system works. It's a large, global, open protocol with availability data. I call you, I know when you're on the phone, right? Or if you don't pick up, you're not available. Like this is the the data signals that you get. And I started there. So with my experience in the telecommunications industry, the first thing that I built for Undock was tying a phone system to your availability, your public availability so people can see when you're on the phone, even if they're not in the room with you, not on your same phone system. And that's where I started. But again, I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the problem. I'm like, the phone system is actually an adjunct to the problem. The calendar is the center of the problem. Like, even if you don't use a calendar, Someone can program how your life went in the form of a calendar. So that's when I decided to jump into the calendar space. And I really wasn't taken back by the number of people in the, the space, uh, the, the giants in the space that own, you know, 80% of the market, Google, Microsoft, and Apple, because uh, they weren't doing anything particularly interesting around it. So it was still an after, and it still is today an afterthought for all of those platforms. Like Apple makes beautiful products and their calendar is the worst thing I've ever seen. True, true. So that makes sense to me. The, the company that I work at, we entered as probably not quite as crowded market, but a crowded market. And we had a couple of ideas on why, like a couple of unique insights on behavior and why we thought it was a smart place to enter. So outside of coming from the technology that you had, I'm curious, like, were there other unique points of view or insights that you had that made you think that what you were going to build was going to tackle that market? I, it really goes back to that that same kernel truth that the way we manage availability right now is broken uh, and or fundamentally broken. It wasn't about giving a product the calendar a product facelift or you know building a slightly better mousetrap for the existing solutions out there like a calendar or something like that. It was like no. We're, we we are going about this completely wrong. The entire situation is going about this completely wrong. And that's why I felt emboldened to build a really big and ambitious product. And we're, we're positioning it as a calendar. Again, it's easily to understand when you say, oh, yeah, it's a calendar. But it doesn't look or function or act like any calendar you've seen. 
how does that perspective show up when you're when you're building? So for the team that you have, is there something different about the way that you approach, you know, shipping new features or releasing that is connected to that insight? Yes, and it's a bit uh, contentious with the team. So I'll I'll give you an example. And my my team is like, I love it that they're super into the space now, and they'll see like, oh look what this company is doing. It's pretty cool. And why haven't we done that yet? And that looks like it'll be pretty easy if we add that. Or, hey, this company has been around for whatever years and have this many million users and they're doing this this way. And I appreciate it. And I I tell them, yes, I've seen it. Yes, that's cool or that's interesting. Uh, But for the most part, I am like laser focused on getting my version of the solution uh, to the market. So like what the competitors are doing, it's it doesn't interest me uh, very much, frankly, because I, I think they're go, they're going down the route of you know uh, marginal or incremental improvements in the existing space, and we're just building something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. We we've gone back and forth on how much attention we want to pay to competitors, and I always think about it as an interesting thing that I need to pay attention to, to kind of understand how the space is evolving and maybe what customers might expect, but not something that would drive what I'm doing. So it sounds like your team, you know, if a competitor were to come out with some sort of crazy new feature, your instruction to the product team isn't like, go build that thing. Absolutely not. And I am right now the de facto uh, product team. It's almost always the exact opposite. I can give a specific example of uh, a feature where we have not shipped our version of it yet. And we We've been planning on it for quite some time, but group scheduling, right? There's a lot of different ways to go about group scheduling. There's calendar sharing. There's like the doodle type poll, which is, seems to be the thing that most people are adopting. I believe it's wrong. And we've done some testing with users on our method, and they seem to think it's much, 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 much better. But if we would went the route of, hey, we don't actually even have a group scheduling feature. What is everybody else doing? It seems to be pretty popular. Let's go build that and maybe make some, again, incremental improvements on that. Sure, it'd be out there. Sure, it'd be working. Sure, people would love it. But I don't think it's the the right solution. I always approach every existing solution, especially from competitors, from the standpoint that even if they're right in the long run, from the standpoint, the first thing I look at, I say, it's wrong. Why is it wrong? How is it wrong? Every single time. And I will literally refuse to build a function or a feature if there's a grain of truth in the fact that I think it's wrong. Uh, I sat on a function or a feature for over a year when we first started saying that I'm not building this. Like, I feel everybody's doing this wrong. I'm not building it. I'm not building it. I'm not building it. It was actually a a core component. I said, I'm not building it, not doing it, not doing it. And then I had the Eureka moment and I said, yes, this is why I felt all along that it was wrong. And here's the correct way uh, to go about it. So this is not something you can do at scale once you're, you know, servicing a market and you just need to give somebody a basic feature that they need like okay no we need this you are a you know 10 million ARR company with a million users and we need this basic functionality you can't really just say no not building it not building it not building it not building it if they need it they need it but in the nascent stages of your product when you're figuring out what the product actually is and what it looks like you can afford to do that and that's what we do uh, time and time again. And it is contentious. I, 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 I'm not playing that up. My team will say, no, we really need to. I'm like, I, we don't. We don't. Give it time. Time will illuminate the answer. How do you help them? So I'm assuming that 
you're able to articulate that because you have such a clear perspective on what your vision is and and the problem space and why you're doing what you're doing. How do you help your team understand that? Like, what's the process like for you to translate that into something that they can execute on? Or is it just like they're they're just guessing until they can hit on it? Frankly, I'm very poor at doing that. I've admitted it to the team. Uh, and sometimes they'll they'll ask a question and say, why aren't we doing this? Or why don't we try this? And if I feel, especially in a, a meeting setting, if I feel the explanation is going to take a little bit too much of the time, like my answer will be because they're wrong, right? And well, why are they wrong? Like we can get into that at another meeting and I can break it down, but they're 100% wrong. Other times I will go into it and say, this has less to do with the scheduling functionality and more to do with our conferencing integration. Uh, there was an example of in our platform by default, you do not see your own camera. You don't see your self view on there. And that's not normal. Every device you pick up, you're like looking at yourself. But when you're trying to replicate the immersion of an actual in-person conversation, you don't sit there with a mirror next to the person you're talking to. Right. And that was the, the basis where I was coming from arguing that I could be 100 percent wrong about this. But until I'm in the face of empirical data that says I'm wrong, my assumption is that somebody did this 25 years ago, thought it was cool. And other people have said, oh, yeah, we need that. We need that. We need that. We have to have it. It always has to be on. You can't even turn it off. And now you've seen after a year of the pandemic, almost every company is coming out with, hey, do you feel fatigued by staring at yourself all day on camera? Hey, now we're introducing turning off your self view. You can even turn it off by default or you can hide it or you can minimize it or you can move it. I'm like, yes. See, but there was 20 years of, of history where it's I'm putting my self view huge right there on the screen. And now you're seeing that that is probably maybe that's wrong for everyone. Some people do like looking at themselves, having a, a check there. Uh, but you just have to be willing to you know, stand your ground on that. And that was one or initially I didn't explain it. And. In a secondary conversation, I did explain it. And then I was happy because Harvard started putting out studies about it. And I'm like, see, there's the explanation right yeah, there. Yeah, That's yeah. why somebody more eloquent than me can explain to you why I think it's been wrong for uh, so long. What's interesting is that there's, I think maybe baked into my question is there's an assumption. So our team right now is closing in on 460 people. So we've grown a ton um, over the past couple of years. But there's this idea that uh, a product team should be autonomous and independent in some way. And there's things out there about how we want to work based on outcomes and you want to give a, like an outcome to the team and they're going to figure out what the right thing is to ship to get there. But what's interesting about earlier stage companies, like you're saying, is that someone started the company with for a reason with a specific point of view and like it's their company and they get to decide and there's a reason why you joined and so i think sometimes teams forget that it's totally okay if a founder has a point of view that is strong yes and yes the teams do forget including mine and i i remind them even in their role i remind them that it's okay to be extremely opinionated right now and unless you are in the face of data that tells you you're wrong that's okay Right. So if the answer is unknown, it doesn't mean whatever else is existing is the correct answer. You are OK to stray and venture. And that's where all the big bets win. Right. The, the big transformational companies aren't the ones that were here at, you know, latitude one degree and moved to latitude two degree. It was the one that did the 180 
on it and change something large about the ecosystem. Not to say you cannot be successful by copying or cloning or being close to an existing product that's already successful. Absolutely can be, if that's what you would like to try, right? But if you want to be generational and make an impact, or you can fizzle out because you were wrong, your opinion was wrong, but that, again, that's the, the chance you take there. Right. And I also, something that I think about more and more as our product gets more complex is that, or, or just has been around for longer, is the more of an opinion you have and the more specific your opinion is, almost the better your user experience because without that driving principle, you start to like, you're saying, oh, maybe we'll add this feature or maybe we'll add this feature or maybe this thing that this customer wanted. And then your your like opinion starts to get fuzzy around the edges and your experience isn't as crisp. So I would imagine that's part of like how you want your team to stay focused. A hundred percent. Definitely believe that. And I do think the best like uh, user experience products, not maybe the most successful, but the products that have the best user experience are opinionated. They're not appealing to everybody in how they do everything. They might need to make a product that is for everybody, like uh, Gmail. Like Gmail is for everybody, right? So they have to make a product that appeals to everybody. But they decided, okay, our predecessor was Outlook. Outlook had 400 buttons at the top of your menu, and we think that's wrong, right? Even though Outlook is – that's a perfect example. Outlook was – bar none, the most dominant email platform. And if you were assuming that they were the most dominant because everything they did was right, we would be looking at a Gmail right now with 400 tabs of buttons and icons across the top. And frankly, we're not, right? So yeah, it's it's definitely okay to, to be opinionated, stick with your opinion. Uh, and then again, if you are in the face of data evidence, quantitative and qualitative that says you are wrong, then you also have to be okay saying, all right, we're going to shift over here because it was the wrong move. Right. Right. Which is super important. But on, on this point about having an opinion, I'm curious to get your take on this. One of the, th- the principles that we follow just to speed things up for the team is maybe we have an opinionated problem or opinion an opinion about the problem, but we might look to an existing pattern. So we're not always inventing new ways to do things and we're using patterns for different things that are that customers would understand. Do you also do that or is it or does this opinionation or opinionated view go all the way through to like the specific interactions? Oh no, I'm so glad you say that and I'm smiling ear to ear because <laughs> I started off with a, a Eureka idea and as I'm building, like I mentioned, there was the the idea that, oh wait a minute, this is actually just a calendar. This is a calendar. It's a calendar. It's a calendar. And I started really, really thinking about how we would put it all together. And at one moment, I'm like, wait a minute, this is the same as this. I'm not going to give all the details because we haven't released all of it yet, but I'm like, this yeah. <laughs> is the same as this, is the same as this, the same as this. I'm I'm building a product that does a lot, and it's essentially one component. It's one record type, and it does a lot of amazing things. And that was basically de- deconstructing what the problem you were solving was and what the solutions look like and finding out how much daylight is in between the two different solutions. And I am like so keenly aware that everything we ship, there, there's two buttons in our application right now because things are so, so similar. I'm like, okay, you don't need another screen for this, right? There's a toggle here. There's an option right here. So everything that we're building, even if it's you know wide in terms of uh, or broad in terms of the problem set that it's solving, it's all very, very functionally similar and visually similar. So if it has to stray too far away from that, I'm like, maybe that's not the right thing we need to build right now. Maybe it's not the right version of the solution. How can we get it really close to what we're building? So yeah, I'm, I'm very happy about 
that moment and that day and that discovery. And it was just like, wait a minute. Yeah. This is this is all this is all the same. Yeah. yeah I have a, a story coming out about uh, that and that component uh, sometime in the next two or three months once we release it. Oh, cool. OK, I'll keep an eye out for that one. I mean, a related question, I, th- I think, also to this point about having an opinion about what the problem is you're solving in your company doesn't mean that the interactions have to be novel. I'm curious, do you think that by being in a space that is as crowded as the one you're in, that your product has to be like extremely high quality? Is the quality bar different for launching something or can you get away with being super scrappy? So I'll answer that in two ways. The quality bar in this industry is very, very low mainly because there hasn't been much innovation, even with the calendar automation space, which I'm, I'm calling it. There's been a lot of, comp- or maybe a handful of companies that have succeeded in it, but the experience is very basic and there's not much differentiation uh, amongst uh, those platforms. And basically like if you get the event on the calendar and I can tell that it's a calendar when I'm booking my, my time slots, like you've, you've passed the, the initial quality bar so I don't think that's a requirement right now for some things, depending on the, the space. But for us, it's it's important. It's so important to me. And I know this is something uh, we'll touch on a little bit later, but quality is part of the user experience. And it goes all the way back to the feeling that you're giving people and the reason that they're signing up for your product. And I want them to have that same, oh, I have this huge problem. This looks like a really neat way to solve it. I feel really good about clicking that install button. That feeling needs to generate all the way through for the entire signup process, the entire onboarding experience, and then when they're using and engaging uh, the product. So, like, you'll have people with a nice, big, splashy landing page. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call a company out here, although they've done a little bit better over time, but like Salesforce, right? So, Salesforce does a really, really great job selling their product. Their product is actually great. I learned a lot about uh, the software space just by using Salesforce and developing on uh, the platform. But the exterior experience is better than the interior experience. And that happens time and time and time again. You'll download some products that have amazing landing pages, amazing websites, amazing messaging, amazing marketing, amazing brand. And then you go use the tool. You're like, oh, (laughs) where did that whole feeling stop? Did it stop at the door? And yeah, that's the case most of the time. But I don't, I don't feel that will be uh, the case for us, uh, especially when you get into enterprise. It's well known like enterprise software is just like clunky looking, clunky operationally. Uh, they don't care too much about design and UI. But I, I feel it's huge uh, for us. Uh, and also just in this time where the technological hurdles that you're leaping can be met by other people, right? So what is going to be your differentiating factor? And I do think user experience, quality, and brand is important there. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a thing that we used in, in the early days and we still use now in a crowded space, in B2B, building for the enterprise, you know, how, how are we different? And it's our point of view on the market. It's thinking about trends in consumer and how those trends, behavior trends, come over into enterprise. It's design. It's how we operate. Yeah, it's all those things. So, I, yeah, I was going to ask you is like, what are the other things that you're differentiating on? You know, you have your unique point of view on the technology, but then, you know, you've I've also seen you guys have done these crazy launches. Like, do you see that as like part of how you're te- how, like the product itself? And so that line between, you know, marketing and then like behind the login. Oh, 100 uh, percent. When Undock is in its final state, the line between 
it being software and just embedded in your life as part of your life is going to be like this, right? So I want you to have brand affinity. I want you to love the product. I want you to get excited about it. Who gets excited about scheduling? Like it's not something people get excited about. So yeah. I'm like, <laughs> but me. it's not it's not scheduling, right? Scheduling is an activity. What you're doing is deciding how you're going to spend a portion of your day and by extension, a large swath of your life, right? So how much time do you want to spend in and around that? How much time do you want to spend in these events? Like, so tying what you're actually doing closely to the brand and then obviously having the tool deliver on that experience is huge for us. So yeah, we do these launch events to uh, get people excited uh, about something that they probably have never been excited about. And it works. We get a lot of uh, uh, super fans from these events. And it's also uh, a hat tip to how we'll go about marketing. You mentioned blending the line between consumer and uh, enterprise. And that's definitely where our product falls. Uh, in I wouldn't even say in the final form. In, in the very near future, it'll be very clear that Undock isn't a product that you sign up for because your company is making you sign up for it. It's a product that you sign up for and you use at whatever company you go to because it's how you manage your life. So, yeah, I think brand is important and differentiating and breaking through the noise and getting people excited about something that's not generally that exciting to them is huge. Yeah. And it also has a side effect. Maybe it's not a side effect. Maybe that's intentional. But it's the first time I've experienced this where it gets the internal team excited, too. So it's one thing that it's, you know, it's not just that you're getting the market excited, but it's also it's really energizing to be on the team building the software when there's so much energy around it and everyone's excited and you're putting a spin on something that maybe people didn't think was that exciting. So I, I always think that's interesting when people think about this as just a marketing play when it's like, no, it's important internally, too. Yeah, it gets the team really riled up. It turns a deadline into something that you dread to something you get excited about. And it's an internal force and function. Once we put the date out there, like it's mm -hmm. it's done. Like it's happening. Even though we like we spend very little time promoting it. We're not like buying ads and all this other stuff for it. It's, you know, hundreds of people attend the event. But we say we're gonna have the event and it's live. It's happening. We're shipping. Ready or not, here we come. Right? So it's it's a great internal forcing function for us. And it does, I, I part of when I originally came up with the, the concept of the plan of launching, 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 part of it was to make deadlines not feel like just burdensome, but something exciting and rewarding at the end of it. And we have undock and unwind immediately after all of our events, which is mandatory off days. So like you work, you work, you get excited, you have the event, everybody's full tilt the entire day, and then... Immediately after, mandatory off days, right? So, oh, that's great. Pretty good, yeah. Looking back, I wish we had done that in the early days when we had some deadlines. When we, how often do you, are you, is your team doing these launches, actually? The first two were four months apart. The next ones will all be six months apart. We're going to do one for the winter solstice and the summer solstice. So twice a year, uh, we'll do that. Yeah, we did, when I was, when Drift was smaller, we did really monthly launches and it allowed us to iterate really, really quickly on the our product market fit at the time. But I think looking back, it made it really hard for us to maintain all the stuff that we were building and just energy wise, it's hard to maintain that cadence um, forever. So I, I like how you're already thinking about that. Yeah, we've, we've, we felt the, the uh, if we had to ship like this once a month, it'd be, we do uh, continuous iteration and continuous deployment. 
but we hold back like the big splashy features for the event. So it's like a little mix of shipping frequently, but like the big important things we do take our time, make it exciting. Yeah, I I love it. Like, and very rarely, this is way off topic, but uh, engineers don't get enough credit. And we love to shine the spotlight on the engineers at that time as well. So, and it's also very nice to see the engineers get excited about something. Because I think a lot of things, something that gets lost in a lot of companies is like growth gets all the glory. Marketing gets all the glory. They're the ones out in front, right? And they're the ones hosting the event and having the event. The engineering team doesn't get to celebrate as much. Um, so we make sure that's a focal point for us here as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. We, I don't know if we've had, I think we probably had a couple of engineers being part of our launches, but we definitely have engineers on the phone with customers when they're the ones who are building things, especially if it's, you know, customers ask for something and then they get to be on the phone telling them about it, which I think is always really cool. Okay. I mean, I could talk about building new products forever, so, <laughs> but we can't. I'm curious, looking back over the last couple of years of Undock, what are the top couple of lessons that you've learned, at least on this, this journey that you're on right now? Kind of conflicts with what I just said, but uh, ship faster, ship more frequently. Uh, <laughs> it's And ship sooner. Faster, more, well, I guess more frequently and faster is the same thing and ship sooner. Directionally, it helps you when you get some feedback. Like I, I take a lot of customer feedback into account when I'm building, but not for what I'm building, just for the things that I'm missing, like obvious glaring things, especially since I'm I'm the, the product team, right? So I have some blind, I am so comfortable around the computer and electronics that I have major blind spots for how a normal person might look at something, right? So the more cycles uh, we have where we're shipping something, then talk to the user, shipping something, and talking to the user, shipping something, and talk to the user uh, would be beneficial uh, to us. Because I went quite some time before shipping anything to anyone, which is just wrong, right? So that's definitely a, a big mistake that I've made there. Yeah, I, I also, I always think about it as shipping more often or sooner than you are comfortable with. Because it's always like, it's not necessarily that you're not shipping fast enough. It's that you're you're waiting until you're you feel good about it. And that's always like... 10 steps past where it's probably fine to let to release it. So, okay, so then any advice you have specifically for someone who is tackling one of these sort of like legacy problems that people might assume has already been solved? And that's that's the issue. Assume, take the opposite approach. Assume that either everyone is doing this thing because it's the only thing that they know, or the other thing is that everybody's doing this because it's right. It's the, it's the fine, and that's not that it's right. It's the final form. Is this the final form of the product or the solution? If so, then yeah, try to find a 1.5x, 2x better uh, version of the solution. But if it's not, they're probably wrong and just keep digging in, digging in, digging in, digging in. The way I think about it for me in uh, the calendaring space, what would be the final form? Is it a booking page? No. Is it a scheduling email bot? No. Um, is it even our product to date? No, it's I need to meet with these four people. Tell me when the meeting is. That is the final form. So until we're iterating, until we get there, like the other products aren't building that. There's no way I'm not going to call it. There's no way the other products in their current form or where they're spending all their money and all their research and all their engineering are ever going to get to the final form where it's there's 17 people in this meeting. There's six people in this meeting. Some are in New York. Some are in Ukraine. Some are in California. Some like early meetings. Some like late meetings. Some are busy. Some have meetings that can be rescheduled. Some have meetings that can't be rescheduled. Someone's optional. Someone's not optional. Some will do this asynchronously. Someone will record this meeting. 
when is this meeting going to happen, computer? Tell me. That is the final form. We know it. Let's extrapolate 100 years into the future, 200 years into the future. That's going to happen, right? This is a logistics problem. We've solved many logistics problems in the past, and we just need to be really creative and then accelerate on some technological fronts that are now available to us today that wasn't when digital calendars were you know, made popular you know, 20, 25 years ago. So Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I can't, as you're saying that, you know, thinking about, okay, what's the final form or the North Star, whatever thing, whatever form framework you like to use for where you're headed. I can't think of anything that is like within the tech that's final that I could even confidently get close to saying is final form. So, yep. Yeah. So that's where you know that even if it's crowded, no one has the answer or no one's built that answer yet. So you keep working until at least you think you're going that way direction. And again, like I said, you could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm not banking on being wrong here, but uh, <laughs> yeah. holding it out as a possibility. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's always possible. I mean, I'm not a founder, so it's easier for me to say, like, I don't know. Good luck. Um, <laughs> all right. So last question. What are you – are you reading anything right now that you'd recommend um, to people who's, that's helping you in your day job or just life? Uh, yeah, I read uh, a lot. I'm on like I my know, fourth I s- read of. I sneaked a peek at your bookshelf. Oh, you got oh yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's some good yeah. stuff on there. Yeah, Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. I'm reading right now, and The Power of Hat. Yeah, it's a great book, and also The Power of Habit uh, by Charles Duhigg. Uh, mainly because I'm, I'm well, at least I was in the past, you know, four months product focused. Now I'm switching to growth and uh, fundraising. So. Read into it what you will about those books and how I'm thinking about building uh, the product. But yeah, I think if you're if you have a, a a job to be done with your product, find some books that talk about it. And it doesn't mean you necessarily take it as gospel, but you have to be able to do some uh, interpolation, right? And finding you know the necessary correlations to what it is that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, and it just makes you faster. You don't have to make the mistakes that someone else has already made for you. Thinking in bets, great for that. Yeah. Nash, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. I have learned so much about how to think about what I'm building. Awesome. Maggie, thank you very much for having me. I had a great time. Thanks.